Hype Beast and Hype Radio. I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype, a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built. One of the reasons why I created this podcast is so I can investigate what businesses in our market are going through right now and how these businesses will soon shape tomorrow. And I talk to the founders that are at the front lines of making dreams become a reality. Right now, in sneaker culture and street culture, we are in the Wild West. It's a whole new frontier with new boundaries being pushed what seems like every single week. And it's just not about kicks. The business of being a quote-unquote sneakerhead is now directly affecting big Fortune 100 companies. So news broke recently of a mainstream jeans and t-shirt retailer, American Eagle, partnering with a Las Vegas sneaker and streetwear consignment store, Urban Necessities. The first iteration of that partnership arrived this month in Soho, New York City. That news came with much fanfare, criticism, and conversation. Admittedly, some of that also came from me in an Instagram post I made questioning the motives of American Eagle. Many people claim that I bore issue with Urban Necessities, its founder, or even the concept of reselling itself. But nothing could be further from the truth. My issue stems from the fact that American Eagle is doing something that is unprecedented. And I guess depending on which side of the fence you stand on, it could be positive or negatively unprecedented. So in a rare occasion where internet, social media, he said, she said, could be discussed openly and in person, I decided to pounce on that opportunity. This week's episode is a special one-on-one -on -one conversation with the founder of Urban Necessities. I'm hoping we could get a better understanding of where he came from, how he was able to get to where he is now, and how this seemingly unlikely partnership transpired. So hold off the blog posts, log off Instagram for one second, and listen straight from the source now with Mr. JC Lopez of Urban Necessities. So one of the great things about, I think, podcasting is that because it's not video and there's not a big production, we can be very timely with some of the stuff that we want to bring to light, you know. Um, and one thing that recently came to light um, was this thing that hit the news and hit the blogs, which we'll get into very soon. But I thought it'd be really great to have uh, this week's guest on the show, on the Business of Hype. The Business of Hype is really all about how... Um, the world of street culture, sneaker culture, hype culture intersects with the world of Forbes, Wall Street Journal, publicly traded companies and business and how they interact, right? That's what the business of hype is all about. So when this topic came about, um, I was like, this is a perfect forum for us to, to talk about it uh, in an open dialogue rather than through comments on IG or through DMs or through, oh, I think he said this and he meant that. Like, let's just have a conversation, right? That's what the show is all about. So uh, without further ado, if you can introduce yourself, who do we have in the studio today? JC Lopez, one of the owners of Urban Necessities. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Thank man. you for thanks having for, me, man. Yeah, thanks for coming, for real. Um, so I know uh, recently there's been a lot of news in terms of like what's been going on and, and you know, a lot of positive news because actually the the venture that you recently opened up is freshly opened right as of as of us recording this how long have you been in business in new york days. city 20 days old so this is 
It's like super ripe. Like it's like the green yeah. banana that you, you haven't, you can't eat yet. Um, okay. So you're 20 days old right now. Um, but when did you start the business? I opened Urban Necessities out in Vegas, September 17, 2014. So a little over four and a half years. Okay. And it's always been in Vegas up until now? Up until now. Yes. Okay. Um, so tell us, I guess, you know, uh, I know a lot of news has sort of been, been going about right now, but let's, I, I wanted to start from the beginning. I wanted to do this interview sort of chronologically so that all the listeners understand the process of what happens. Right. Because I think one of the things that a lot of the younger generation that live on social media and Instagram, what they miss out on is the backstory. They just see the finish line right. and then they make assumptions based off of that. You know, So I think it's important that we go back. Um, let's go to before Urban Necessities was even born. What were you doing? Who were you? Uh, what was your hustle back then? So, um, you know, I've been in retail my whole life, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'll be 40 years old this year. Uh, I've been in retail since I was 14 from you know, from working at McDonald's and realizing really fast that wasn't that wasn't my thing to even selling jewelry at George Jensen. Like I've been in all walks, like all forms of retail. Mm -hmm. um, Vegas always? Uh, no, Jersey, oh, Dallas. Okay. I've I've lived pretty much. I've been pretty much everywhere, man. I was a real knucklehead when I was a kid. Um, I moved to Vegas. I want to say two thousand one ish. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have my stuff together, so to speak, and. Uh, I had a daughter and I wasn't seeing her as much. And my mom was like, hey, Jay, you, you got to be closer to your kid. So she gave me 20 bucks and a plane ticket and told me, figure it out. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, I go out there. I don't even have a cell phone or anything. It's just literally the clothes that I have on and a change of clothes. I figure uh, I take these 20 bucks. I put it in a slot machine. Maybe I turn it into 100 and find the guy selling some weed and I break the weed down. And, and that's how I make some money. Right. But... <laughs> It didn't work out like that at all. Um, you did you legit do that? Yeah. You took the twenty dollars your mom gave yeah. you and decided as to gamble. As soon as soon as I got off the plane, like you know how there's slot machines yeah. in the airport. So yeah. yeah, I didn't even. I my twenty was gone before I even sat down. So <laughs> um, like now I'm in full blown shock. I probably spend like four or five hours trying to figure out what I do. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I wind up being homeless for about six months. Um, in the streets of Vegas. Yeah, in the streets of Vegas. So mm -hmm. I find a park that's off of like uh, Maryland Parkway in Charleston. And I'm like living there for like six months. First mm -hmm. couple of days I struggled, obviously, right? Because there's pride involved. You don't really want to ask people for stuff. And uh, like I ate out of trash cans. I snuck into hotels like to shower and stuff. Um, eventually I find Fashion Show Mall. I start panhandling in front of Fashion Show. Mm -hmm. I go from panhandling to selling water. And then one day, randomly, I uh, see a bunch of dudes standing in line for sneakers mm -hmm. on like a Thursday night. And what I'm like, year is this? Just so kids know the reference. Man, I want to say this is like 2000, 2001. Okay. Um, and, this is uh, real early in sneaker culture then. Like, yeah, I'm trying super. to think what kids would even be lining up for back then. I, I, man, it was so long. This is so pre -SB, long. Yeah, right? this is like, I don't even... I don't even really remember the shoe. It's mm -hmm. been that long, right? But so I see these kids standing for shoes on a Thursday. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're standing in line for shoes. And I'm like, well, when does the shoe come out? Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's Thursday. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So like, it's not registering to me. It's just like every, any random parent that walks into a sneaker store and is like, I don't get what my kid's in it is. Yeah. Like you feel like they're the knuckleheads. Right. Now. So I'm <laughs> thinking this is crazy, but... 
long story short, I start becoming a mule for a lot of these guys, and I just start standing in line. I start making money that way. Okay. Um, I start selling water uh-huh. on the strip and panhandling. So between those three little hustles, I wind up saving enough money to like start paying for weeklies. I'm sleeping on a bed now. Eventually got a job. I job hop a little bit. And about, man, it's about eight years, almost, mm-hmm. almost eight years ago now, um, I worked for a cell phone company, mm-hmm. um, AT&T, and I was doing okay. I, I was like top three percentile in sales for them. I always did my thing, mm-hmm. um, but I got really sick. I started having seizures, and I went on FMLA for a while. And, um, well, with insurance, the way stuff works is once you become too much of an expense for a company, they find a creative way to get you out, right? Yes. And like most Americans, I was living outside my means when I was making my normal money. And on FMLA, you only make 60% of what you normally make. Mm-hmm. So living outside my means, not really having money saved up, yeah. I wind up getting eventually evicted out of my apartment, car repoed, meet a girl, tell her I'm in her shoes. But at that time, like I'm in her shoes, but I can't really necessarily tell you like the name of shoes, why certain shoes go for what they go for. Mm-hmm. I just was like, if I saw a shoe that I liked... And it was on the shelf, I would cop, right? So you wouldn't call yourself a sneakerhead necessarily. You were more like a style guy. Yeah, I just, you know, I I was always attracted to nice stuff. Like, Uh I I come from the stereotypical environment, like, very big in a rap and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, BET and and all those, like, Yo! MTV raps and all the rap videos. Like, I looked up to that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I I meet my, my girl, who's now my wife, Joni. And I tell her I'm in her shoes. Two weeks into dating, I'm evicted out of my apartment, mo- living with her and her parents, and I'm trying to buy shoes to hold me over till I find another job. Well, the job never came. Um, it was like December, about eight, seven, eight years ago now, and she's from Hawaii. Okay. So she's inviting me to go to her fa- to meet her family, and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to Hawaii mm-hmm. to meet your parents when I'm like legit a bum. Yeah. You know, so, but the benefit was when I stayed behind, I had her car. Mm-hmm. So I started going to all the sneaker stores in the city and I'm like, yo, remember the name, remember the face, day's going to come, I'm going to buy every shoe, right? And looking back, it's kind of crazy that yeah. I was saying that because I didn't know my left from my right. right. I just, I just started adding myself to Facebook sneaker groups and paying attention on Instagram to influencers and what was mm-hmm. coming out. And the first shoe that I resold was the Area 72 Barkley Posit. So the initial plan was to buy three, sell two, keep one, Mm -hmm. like every other sneakerhead that's trying to fund it through reselling shoes. And I had yapped about this shoe so much to to my girlfriend at the time that uh, she put in a little bit of money. I put in a little bit of money because I got my income tax return. We bought 18 pairs. I sold 17 for $200 over over retail. So she's like, I think you're on to something. You should try this again. Mm-hmm. Like, keep at it. Right. The next week, lose my ass. Week after that, lose my ass. <laughs> week after that, like, it's break like the even. Vegas gamble. Yeah, yeah. It's like horrible, <laughs> right? So we're going at it for six months. Losing your ass on shoes. Yeah, but I'm still, like, I'm happy, right? And, yeah. like, I'm finding this outlet that I never had before. And you have no job still? No job, but I've applied over a hundred different places mm-hmm. for jobs. As as you can see, aesthetically, I've done some things that might not necessarily make me the ideal candidate for for a retail job, right? Um, and no, uh, you know, this is a podcast, so they can't see, you, right? But you're talking about like like the tats on my face, right. the gauges, and all that. Like, um, 
You know, at AT&T, they even gave me a hard time about the tats, uh-huh. even though they hired me with a lot of the tats that I have, like on my hands yeah, and, yeah. and my neck and stuff. So uh, long story short, it's up and down for uh-huh. six months, right? I open up a website on Store Envy. I'm paying like $7 a month for this website, mm-hmm. um, taking pictures with construction paper backgrounds, holding an iPhone and a lamp to take the pictures. <laughs> We're doing pre-orders. Like, I'm... I'm going to stores and now seeing that stores are like backdooring to their boys mm-hmm. or whatever. But this is like before they're even really getting paid for it. Yeah. So right. I come in like the logical side of it. I'm like, dude, you're risking your job and you're not even making any money on mm-hmm. the side. Like for what? Yeah. Right. So I started paying people like 20 bucks over retail to mm-hmm. hold pairs. And then I started running pre-orders. Yeah. And that worked a little bit, but it dried up. My my girlfriend and I at the time, Joni... Um, now it's like becoming dysfunctional. Life is like, so we split six months in. Okay. So I start now selling all my clothes, all my sneakers to pay for motels, rental cars. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to keep the dream alive. Do you remember how many shoes you had at this point in your life? When I left, when we split, when we split, I had about 220 pairs. Okay. So I was, I was good for about five, six months, but I'm like undercutting and lowballing myself. Yeah, you're just just trying to to, liquidate right right now. Yeah. So I run out of stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, this is oh my like, God, you yeah, ran out of stuff to sell? I ran out of stuff to sell. And keep in mind, like now I, I, I don't really have a car or anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a way to really get around. So I can't really attack the releases the way that I once used to. And I started seeing people being incentivized and motivated more to, to resell yeah. in Vegas, right? And um, I'm like, man, nobody's really doing consignment. Mm-hmm. So I uh, I run out of stuff to sell. I call a buddy. I ask to sleep on his couch that there's this really small trade show that's about to happen in Vegas that's two weeks out. Mm-hmm. So I tell pretty much everybody I'd sold shoes to over a course of about a year, like, hey, let me sell the shoes you guys aren't wearing. Some of these things have gone up in value. Like you guys always complain about the cost of the next shoe and you don't even wear what we what I've sold you. And I, I was charging them 20 bucks. Yeah. Like I didn't care about making money. It was just about having something. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I got to that point, I was down to like 18 pairs of shoes, but they were bricks. Like I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't give them away. Yeah. And I turned those 18 pairs into 684 pairs in two weeks on some guy's couch in a 400 square foot apartment. How did you turn the 18 to? Just from like spit handshakes, hitting up everybody I had known. And they're like, it's crazy, bro. Like I'm to the point where like they're dropping the shoes off at this apartment. Like thinking about how reckless that was, Mm -hmm. like looking back, it's like, I don't know how anybody was like trusted me with that. Right. So you basically built like a mini consignment store in this apartment. Right. And you had six over 600 shoes. 684. And you were paying how much for them? Like 20? Like so if it sold... Rock bottom. Oh, okay. If it sold, I kept 20 bucks. Okay. Right? So then I go do this trade show. I <laughs> imagine doc- something... Like imagine that place flooded or got robbed Oh, or yeah. Burned. It was scary. And then it's like my boy and his wife and their kid. And every day they're coming back into the house and there's more shoes. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And you have to like literally like... We wiggle yeah, your way into your way yeah, in, yeah, it was crazy. Like yeah. like I took over the kitchen, I took over the kitchen table, the living room, like it was uh-huh. it was chaotic. I inventoried everything, put it all in binders because I only had a handful of tables. I had Fran Franalations was there. I asked yeah. I back then I knew Fran and I said, Fran, hey, I'm gonna do this event. Like, would it be cool if you like co-signed it and you like paired up next to me and we had guys doing sneaker cleaning. I had Holy Grail, the consignment shop in LA, consigned shoes with me. Uh-huh. And and we took all these shoes 
And uh, Joni and I hadn't spoke for six months, but I had like five or six homies that helped me kind of do all this selling. And uh, we sold like 450 pairs that day. Wow. And uh, I met some people from Boulevard Mall, and they were like, man, you should open a store. I'm mm -hmm. like, guys, I don't even have a pot to piss in. What are you talking about, a store? Mm -hmm. Right? They're like, well, if you could get a business license and you could write us a post-dated check, we'll give you a store. So I, I went to Boulevard Mall, which yeah. opened up in 1968. It's the first mall in Vegas. Um, it was the mall, but it fell off like hard. It's like the raggediest mall in all of Nevada. Like, forget Vegas. It's, it's just trash. Even right? Reno? Yeah, it's, it's worse, bro. <laughs> and uh, I picked a store in a hallway that had been closed for five years. Mm -hmm. Store had been closed for seven years. Used to be a sneaker store at one point. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have any neighbors for my first six months. My rent was just 500 bucks a month, Yeah. right? I didn't have any money to really pay employees. So what I did was I made a post when I only had 2,200 followers on the gram. And I was like, hey, if you have a local clothing brand, pass by. I'd love to sell your stuff, right? So then they would come to this mall mm -hmm. where I have no neighbors. And they wouldn't even turn the hallway lights on when it got dark, right? And I'm like <laughs> pitching this whole like vision of like, yo, I'm going to bring people from all walks of life. This mm -hmm. is going to be the spot in Vegas, like... You know, like I'm going to uh, I'll sell your stuff, but we'll charge you like percentage of sales and rent space. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like literally picking off spots in the store like this is 200. This is 150. This Carving is carbon it up. Right. Yeah. 19 brands said yes. Okay. And that's how I got to pay my employees. Right. So we open up those the, the day I signed my lease to, to the mall after I put money in the bank account, I got my LLC and all that. I have forty dollars left over. That was it. Mm -hmm. So then I I. I haven't talked to Joni. I'm not talking to Joni. Joni found out that I, I'm opening a store and she gifted like this imagery that I wanted to put in the store. I'd always talked about it. Yo, if I ever get this chance to open a store, I want to do like not the evolution of man, but the evolution of dunk and take players that weren't dunking and then getting to players that are dunking. And she gifted that to the shop, even though we weren't on speaking terms. Mm -hmm. And when she, when I found out she gifted it, I called her and I was like, yo, I can't do this without you. Mm -hmm. You have to come back. We have to make this work. And uh, it's whacked, man. I, uh, I opened September 17, 2014. Uh, by December 31st, we did a million in sales. I didn't have... Of that same year? Of that same year. In that... In that raggedy-ass mall. Shitty-ass mall? Yeah. Um, I uh, didn't pay myself for the first 10 months. My first paycheck to myself was $85. Um, we didn't have neighbors for the first six months. I didn't have a website for like the first year and a half. So we started offering FaceTime appointments. We we're like, hey, okay, call the shop. We'll give you a FaceTime appointment. What size are you, size nine? Dope. Okay, let me open up this closet where I have seven pairs of size nine. And most of them are fucking beat, mm -hmm. you know, but we were doing that. Then we, we started getting, I started adding myself to all these Facebook sneaker groups. I'm like in over a thousand Facebook sneaker groups. And I, I don't comment much, but I pay attention to what's going on. Uh -huh. And early on, I used to just have like this big, long spiel. Hey, my name's Jay. I own a store in Vegas. It's located 10 minutes from the strip, blah, blah, blah. Like, and customers started coming from everywhere, from like all over the world. And one of the complaints we started, I started seeing really early on were guests, there was no Uber or Lyft mm -hmm. five years ago in Vegas. Right. So, so guests were paying 50 bucks to come from the strip. And I was like, that's like too much. Yeah, yeah. So we bought a car and we started picking people up from the strip and bringing them. Like there was no reason why, in my opinion, there was no reason why we couldn't make a sale, right? Uh -huh. And uh, wow, like eight months in, 
we run out of room, we relocate into a store that's twice the size in the same, same mall. mall. Okay. Right now I'm next to a finish line, and at first I'm like, man, I don't know if mm-hmm. this relationship's gonna work. Like they're gonna hate us. Like they're gonna feel like we're taking their guests. But it was a great relationship because like they were they were getting guys that were asking for stuff they don't get that we get, and yeah. then we were getting guests that were coming in that couldn't didn't understand consignment mm-hmm. or didn't couldn't justify the expense. The finish line is right next door. Right. Their foot traffic skyrocketed. Uh, before I left that mall last year, we winded up being the highest... Gener- we generated more revenue than the entire mall. We generated more foot traffic than the entire mall. Damn. And uh, we last year, we ro- relocated to Fashion Show Mall, which is on the strip across the street from the wind. Um, which is where you started panhandling. and It's trippy as hell, man. There's times where like I'm walking through hallways and I like see stuff like word like ptsd bro it's wild um and uh the day that we opened we didn't have a sale and we had a line damn near all the way to the wind like out the like out my store to the mezzanine halfway down the bridge to the wind to like 5 30 it was taking people an hour hour and a half to get in Uh and then i had a second line from my register which is at the back of the store all the way out the door to pay to pay and there was no sale what do you mean there was no sale? Like they didn't have any sale. It was just people just came to support. And like people flew from Mexico, China, like Toronto. It's like wild the the support the brand has had from the very beginning. And and I think it's because, you know, from the very beginning, it's it's we've tried to treat our guests like family. Mm-hmm. Um UN is a play on the United Nations. I, I constantly talk about how it takes all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um and uh it's it's family, man. You know, when JC said he was a knucklehead during the interview, I didn't quite understand what he meant. But man, from gambling the only money he had in his pocket to using an apartment for storing all his resale inventory, which, by the way, is technically other people's inventory, to opening a store in the deadest mall in the state, I'd say many of Jay's decisions are questionable at best. But what works for one man, or what works in a textbook, doesn't necessarily work for everyone. I think the most important element is your environment. The reason why a silver bullet answer to all of life's problems doesn't work, it's because each person is going through their own individualized shit. Society will never cease to run out of bullshit things to throw at you. When Jay saw the sneaker business bubbling, he wanted in. To think, his first dollar in the sneaker industry was waiting in line as someone's mule on a sneaker release. Dude was homeless. But he wasn't just interested in growing his own collection or flipping a few shoes for a couple of bucks. He wanted all in. The journey he's been on to where he is now just shows how deserving he is for any opportunity that has come his way. Jay's journey is quite literally full circle. He opened a multi-million dollar business in the same location he used to beg for money. If you've been blessed enough to encounter what it is that you are passionate about, don't question it. Make the most out of it, own it, and never let it go. And if you ever think the possibility that that dream could actually become your reality is way too far-fetched, think of Jay's story. And to think, he hasn't even crossed the finish line yet. He's only just getting started. So what, what do you think is the secret recipe? Like you don't ha- It doesn't sound like you had a huge multi-million dollar marketing budget or ad campaign. Was it... Like, what was the secret recipe of how people, like, align themselves with your brand? I think it's just that we've been 
very consistent, mm -hmm. right? And in the sense that we show up every day. And we're willing to do more than what most consignment shops are doing. Like, if you look at what I've done, like, I haven't missed a sneaker count in four years. Think about the burden and stress that that adds monetarily to the brand or, like, just the day-to-day, -day, mm -hmm. right? Even now, like, I'm not at our Vegas shop, but it's it's functioning, right? Yeah. They see that. I don't think other shops are willing to put in that type of effort. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, they're grinding, they're making money, they're opening more stores, but are they really working from the second they open their eyes till they close them? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's the case. And I think I've been very transparent in the way that we operate. And I'm also trying to create other entrepreneurs, right? Like if you look at the content that I put out on YouTube, most of it is about how to generate a dollar together, mm -hmm. right? And bringing awareness to the little guy because without somebody's cosign at some point throughout this entire process, I wouldn't have gotten the opportunities that yeah. I have. Yeah. Let's say you're talking or you're, or someone who's listening to the show right now is a complete layman and doesn't understand the concept of sneaker culture or consignment. Can you explain to them how your business model works? Um, I mean, it's consignment's been around since the beginning of time, right? I, I think uh, a lot of times, most because it's most parents and grandparents, yeah, right? They're yeah. the ones that they're like, I don't understand why yes. they're paying $1,000 for this shoe. And even when I opened my store, when I would see these kids, I'm like, how the fuck are they affording this, mm -hmm. right? And I start asking the questions to their parents. And it's like, I realized it starts the same for everyone. Started with one shoe. They took that shoe. They flipped it. Now it's paying itself, right? Yeah. And it's like stock. These kids are very creative and understanding um, the direction stuff is going and they're understanding Supply when to sell. And right. And, stuff, and now, yeah. like, it's not so much margins. Now it's volume. For everybody, it's volume. Mm. And I think that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, we came in with a 10% consignment rate. I I forecasted six years ago that it was this is the direction it had to go. So for us, we don't really have to shift or adjust because we've been operating on that from day one and we're growing mm -hmm. and showing that it works yeah. if you run it right. So just so just to break this down, so a kid gets his hands on a shoe, he brings it to your store, he drops it off, he dictates the price or you dictate the price? We're going to tell them uh, to play within reason, right? Uh -huh. uh, there's apps like Gold and StockX that I think have done a great job of becoming kind of like the Kelly Blue Book of sneakers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we tell them, hey, look, you could price it at that or within this percentage above it. And okay. if you do that, we should be able to move your items in a fair amount of time. Okay, so kid pays $100 for a shoe. He brings it to you. You say, this shoe's worth 1000 right? And you put it on your shelf for 1000 You don't have to pay anything yet. Correct. Okay. So another, a third customer comes in and he drops 1000 now. Right. So kid doesn't get all 900. He gets 900 minus your percentage. He gets. So if we sell the shoe at a thousand, uh -huh. he gets his 900 yeah. once the item is paid for. We cut the checks the following week. OK. Right. So we have a consignment manager that's very transparent mm -hmm. and it tells you the status of your items in real time. And the beauty of it, because we have QR codes in the store, everything's QR code based. OK. Consigners could change their prices in real time and they don't have to wait for somebody at the store to actually give a shit and change their label. What, right? They do it through, what, a back-end yep. website? Consignment manager. So they go in and they change the price. It's kind of just like, it's like a, a watered-down version of StockX. It's mm -hmm. a live marketplace within the store. Right. And we don't even have to change the labels in the store. So it's it's in real time when the mm -hmm. prices are changing. So um, 
It's it's great. And, you know, teaming up with American Eagle on it, it's just going to make me logistically more efficient. And that's why I was so excited mm-hmm. about pairing up with these guys. Because we, we turned it into, you know, I turned that 40 bucks into 20 million in sales last year. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what the fuck I'm doing. Right. Right. So now I got some guys that are pretty good at retail. <laughs> yeah. That are going to kind of speed the process up and allow me to still do something that I really have a passion for. Yeah. Well, let's go back to that kid example. So your take is 10%. Correct. And just so for the people who know or don't know, what is the industry average like versus eBay, Stadium Goods, GOAT, StockX, like Flight so, Club? Uh, some of my neighbors in the city are at 20 Okay. Right. Um, if you become like a power seller for them, they cut you down to fifteen. Mm-hmm. We're at a flat ten. Uh, if you sell on eBay with PayPal fees, it winds up being about fourteen. Mm-hmm. It's the lowest in the country. So if you're if you're a kid and you're trying to resell, wouldn't you just be looking for the lowest possible rate, or is there an advantage to paying more for some reason? Um, I mean, if you're if you're selling. It doesn't really matter the percentage, honestly. At the end of the day, you're looking to move it as fast as yeah, possibly yeah. can, right? And although uh, some places might charge a higher consignment rate, they're charging more, so you're, you're getting paid the same. Mm-hmm. It's just more of who you can relate to and, and what who you works, can trust. right? Yeah, and, who, yeah. and and that's you know I've, you've seen some of the horror stories with consignment. Like mm-hmm. it could it could get botched up really fast, and yeah. uh, I feel very fortunate that. Over this four and a half, five years that, you know, although we've taken a couple lumps here and there, that we've been able to be very transparent and still grow with some of the headaches and growing pains of running a small business. How do you handle bootlegs and fakes? Um, like everybody else, you, you try to learn as much as you can and, and create the awareness. Um, you know what I, I, I've accidentally gotten some wrong, like mm-hmm. the team, and I've, I've taken ownership of that. I, I tell my... You know, I even did a YouTube video when I got one wrong because I think it's more important for you to know when I got it wrong than when I got it right. I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to get it right. right you know what right. I mean? So um, it's it's something I've I've had to become a student of it mm-hmm. really, really fast. I'm learning on the fly. You know, I, I've been very fortunate to build great relationships with other consignment shops and other business owners. Just learning And one share another. best business practices like... That's probably the most enjoyable part. It's uh, the sneaker world isn't what it used to be 10, 20 years ago, where like if you knew something, you wouldn't tell anybody. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like now it's a lot more open. Social yeah. media has changed all that. Do you think the bootlegging thing is going to get worse in the future? Like, is there going to be more and more bootlegs flooding, or do you think it'll get actually better? Or something? Um, I mean, until Nike, until the brands make a more conscious stuff, it, it's like. That's a never-ending battle, okay. in my opinion. Like every, There's always going to be the bootlegger that walks into a consignment shop, buys it, and then starts making it or walks into a regular retail. Like That's always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And there's always going to be somebody that's going to want to cut a corner and doesn't really care about the recourse. You mm-hmm. know? Sharing knowledge is so much more important, more so now than ever. That's one of the main reasons why we're motivated to create the business of hype for all our listeners. This is real knowledge for how to turn your idea or passion into a business. The education can be 30,000 foot, or it can be as granular as how to spot a bootleg shoe. Or it could be the knowledge of how to negotiate a deal with a billion dollar organization. Jay's going to go into this more shortly. But the sneaker industry is bigger than ever, and opportunities are popping up all over the place apps, stores, 
luxury brands, private equity funds, partnerships, collaborations, everyone is getting a piece of the pie. It could be hard to try and figure out how to navigate that, especially at the scale of where business is today. Again, learning from one another helps everyone involved. Jay's a down-to-earth guy that seems to have all the right intentions with his business. He's a sneakerhead who cares about being there in the store and creating a lasting connection with his customers. And he also wants a positive experience with the resellers. But now, he's also a businessman. And with his new partners, he will need to figure out how to scale that experience as quickly as possible without losing that competitive edge. So um, you alluded to your uh, partnership or joint effort with American Eagle. Talk about how that even began. Like, how did that first, it's first like, happen? I still, like, shake my head. Because I doubt you walked into an American Eagle with a pitch deck. Not right? at all. No, and, okay, they so. didn't, and they didn't come to me like that either. Um, we have a mutual friend. His name's Mayor. You know Mayor? Of course. Right? So I met, I met Mayor two years ago at SneakerCon. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked up to him and I was like, Mayor, like, dude, I just want to say thank you for, you know, for being part of the Hispanic community, being able to stay relevant for all these years. And I, I try to introduce myself to him and he's like, oh, I know who you are. And mm. this is like when Mayor is like still very anti-reseller. He's like making videos, talking <laughs> shit all the time. Like, I he's love Mayor. I love, yeah. I love that guy. Me too. I, uh, I really appreciate the fact that he's worked really hard to be able to grow a voice mm-hmm. and be very open and talk how he feels. Not everybody's gifted that. Yeah. Um, so I meet Mayor that time. Then a couple months later, we're in London for uh, Crep, presented by Open a Store. Crep Protect. Right. Yeah. So we're, we get, I get the opportunity to sit next to him during this dinner. Okay. So he shares his story. I share mine. Mm-hmm. Mayor's like, man, I... Uh, didn't know resellers had stories like that. Like, I didn't know resellers did stuff like... And his tune changed with mm. reselling. You've seen that he's, like, nowhere near as vocal <laughs> anymore about reselling. So, um, you know how, like, sometimes you go to stuff, but you don't want to go, but something yeah. tells you to go, and, like, yeah, a this door opens. Yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So, that's agenda for me. I've got agenda, agenda the trade show. Right. Okay. So seven years straight I go and I'm just trying to learn and, <laughs> and I'm wait, trying are you to... saying you kind of dislike going to agenda every time? Yeah, because I like I wasn't ready for it. I was trying to force my way into something. I just was frustrated with the process. Like the process is if you're not, you know, insert name here, mm-hmm. you're not gonna get any time. Your body of work doesn't matter. What are you, you talking build. about exhibiting at agenda? No, or no, no, just, no. Just going in just and trying going. to build oh, relationships okay, and as like, a visitor. Right. And right. trying to get accounts into the store. I didn't wanna I didn't want to sell sneakers through accounts. I wanted to get like clothing brands. Stance socks. Yeah, yeah. Staple, you know, like <laughs> Mitchell and Ness, stuff like that that right. I thought would work. For sneakerheads right. who were going into right. the store, right? Because I just saw money being like left on the table. I yeah. and that's as a business owner, you're like, how can I turn another dollar, right? Mm-hmm. So six years of just getting ignored. Like the, the last couple, the last, so I go to Wait, this Wait, can one. I ask why? Do you think it's because there's like a stigma against a resale store? No. Why, why, yeah. Why do you think you were getting ignored by going to a trade show? I was in a raggedy ass mall. Okay. That no one's heard of. Mm-hmm. I had a brand that had a very small following with no other brands co-signing it. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, I was too close to other boutiques in the city, in the Vegas, in the Vegas right? Area, so yeah. it's like, hey, you want a stance account? Cool. 
how far are you from this store? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a mile and a half. No. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get it. So, so back to... Agenda. Agenda. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go. I'm mm-hmm. telling my wife I'm not going to go. I'm just going to hang out at the shop. If, if people come, cool. If not, cool. Mm-hmm. And then last minute, I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go. Okay. Right? And I was like, I could, I could probably run into an influencer or two, snap mm-hmm. a picture, show relatability, maybe sell a sneaker to somebody, get some people to come down to the store. And I see Mayor walking around with Fat Joe. So I'm there really with no purpose. I see Mayor, and Mayor's like, yo, come on. I want, I want you to talk to some people. Is this last summer? Yeah. Okay. I remember Fat Joe yeah. at this show. Yeah. So I'm walking around with them for a little bit, and then they sit me down with Takma. They introduced mm-hmm. me to Janice from Tacman. She's and Mayor's like, Jay, you gotta tell them your story. So I'm like, all right, I hope you got a little bit of time. All right. And uh, I tell her my story. Janice is blown away by it. Mm-hmm. She calls Jeffrey Schottenstein, who's the owner of Takma, which Takma stands for they could all kiss my ass. It's mm-hmm. about not seeking approval, doing things your own way, yeah. so on and so forth. So I go and they're like, All right, you gotta meet Jeffrey. So mm-hmm. I go, I meet Jeffrey. And uh, Jeff's like, man, this story's crazy. I need you to say that on camera. So then he gets a camera, and, and it winds up being part of a campaign with Vegas Jones and a couple other people. Um, but they don't really run with it. Like, mm-hmm. um, And he was very kind enough to send me like a care pack as a thank you with some clothes. I rock it. I mm-hmm. mention it on social media. Because I can relate to their story, yeah. right? Like, I am technically their story. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so it cooks for them. Like, it gets good traction. They get good engagement. Some orders come in. A couple months later, they send me another pack. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I shot it out, this and that, and it does well for them, right? Yeah. And uh, now fast forward, I go, in that time frame, in those six months, I went from being, that was the September show. Mm-hmm. And then at the beginning of this year was the next one. So when the next one came up, they're like, yo, I'm at the new store. They're like, Jay, we want to do our activation in your store. Tacma. Tacma. Okay. Instead of at Agenda, because Agenda's like, it's not what it used to be. No, yeah. And uh, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And they're like, how much are you going to charge you? And I'm like, charge us. I'm like, charge you? Why would I charge you? You guys are family. Like, I was like, look, what? instead of giving me money for taking some spot in my store, why don't we just collaborate on a shirt, donate the money to Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico was going through some stuff and I'm right. Puerto Rican. Right. And they come in, they bring clothes, their whole, everything sells three days. Did they set up a shop or a place yeah, where the buyers it was like a shop to? and shop. Buyers, everybody was coming. So okay. they get all sorts of crazy orders. All the merch there sells. To like, Fashion Show Mall. In Fashion Show Mall. Right. Sells out in my store. All the Takma people are like blown away by my foot traffic, the interactions, mm-hmm. like how excited people are. And I get a call like two months later from Jeffrey. Uh-huh. And Jeffrey's like, dude, you've helped us all these times. You've never asked for anything. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we help you? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, what do you need help with? And I'm like, I don't even, I don't even know how to answer that <laughs> question, right? Like. I'm like, look, the only thing I want to start that I have no idea how to start is creating a nonprofit. I want to start the You and Me Foundation. And just like, it's not dedicated to like specific needs. Mm -hmm. It's just all needs. Whatever the help is, like you want to start a clothing brand? Cool. We'll get you in front of the design people and let you play with materials and this and that. You want to start a rap career? Fuck it. We'll get you in front. That's all I wanted to do, right? 
And uh, he's like, that's cool and all, but we need to talk in person. So next thing you know, I'm on a flight to Boston. Okay. And we're, you know, hanging out with him and his family and a couple rabbis and stuff like that. And like, <laughs> it's, it's culture shock for me, but it's a very, like, it felt very genuine. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, next thing you know, there's a phone call to his dad, Jay Schottenstein, who Jay, Jeffrey's dad. Right. Okay. At like three in the morning, but he's hanging out with Jay Z and Beyonce at some like Jay was performing in Cleveland and mm-hmm. after they're kicking it. So he's like, Yeah, whatever, just get him to come to New York and we'll figure it out. Right. So But you didn't understand what was going on. I'm right? still like confused, right? <laughs> and uh so a week later, I'm in New York. I'm I'm going to Jay's one of Jay's condos out here. And I'm thinking it's gonna be like this scenario where it's like Jay's like all right, son, here's how you fix retail. Pat and ask, go yeah, get it, right? Like you're hoping yeah. for one tip. Yeah, that's all, <laughs> I'm, that's all I'm expecting. Okay. And instead, it's like the who's who of who for American Eagle. Like, you know, CFOs, CCEOs, like uh, president of finance, the guy that runs re- retail, like mm-hmm. real estate. And it's like red pill, blue pill. Which one do you want? Partnership or we just go 50-50 on a store? What? Right. He was Was like, Jay there? Jay was there. That was it. Did you even get a prep as American Eagle like? No. So <laughs> I was like looking at my wife and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, Say is the this two real? options again? Just so <laughs> Red uh, okay. open a store in New York, 50-50 split. Uh-huh. No help back end. None. So open a, a UN store. Right. Okay. 50-50 split. No help back end. Or... Figure out a percentage that I'm willing to cough up of the brand mm. and blow this up the way that I envision it. Okay. I curate all of it. Okay. I mean, I knew my answer before I even left the room. Yeah. But, you know. Did you answer then and there? Nah, I, they wouldn't let me. They, they wouldn't let you answer. They were like, take think some about, time. Yeah, yeah, think yeah. about okay. it. Um, and and then, were the Schottensteins there too? Yeah, Jay was there, like, everybody was there. There was rabbis there, too, and it was like, it was just... I love that there's rabbis yeah, there, oh, like, oh, blessing These guys this thing. are yeah. great. They're great. <laughs> and I'm, so now I, like, walk away from yeah. this, like, just, like, I can't believe we've gotten to this point where someone even gives a shit to mm-hmm. even try to help us out. Yeah. Because how many years has it been since you were panhandling and waiting for in line for people 18 it's 18 years uh, but you know like i've been struggling my whole fucking life yeah and, and you remember that so yeah vividly. and uh so we go back and joni's like this this can't be like my wife's like this can't be real mm-hmm. right so then we start having the conversations and the concern that i bring up to them is one that you brought up a couple a couple weeks ago, right? It's okay. like, what business do they have being in this culture? Mm-hmm. And I told them that, but I I wasn't like, this isn't going to work because of this. Mm-hmm. I said, I have to understand more. I have to learn more. I have to see more, right? So I started paying attention to my guest. Four out of 10 people walking into my store wearing American Eagle, mm-hmm. right? I'm paying attention like, to guests walking in with American Eagle bags because there's an American Eagle store there, right? Mm-hmm. Then I told them, you guys have to come see my world. You have to come to Toronto Sneaker Con with me and see what I have to deal with. <laughs> like, see what it takes. See if this is something that you guys think we could make more efficient. 
Is there an American Eagle in fashion? Yes. Fashion show mall. Okay. It's on the other side of the mall. Okay, so you were see, you were able to see what they're about. Yeah. And their um, customers. Yeah. Okay. I like the direction of what they're doing with all the like the the new planograms and stuff like that. It's it's a lot cleaner. Is there a connection? Is there a guy who is waiting in line for Yeezys and wants American Eagle? I mean, I'm I'm watching it day in and day out while I'm here in New York. <laughs> right. Um Look, there's tons of people that could justify spending four or five hundred bucks on shoes, but they won't spend eighty dollars on jeans. They're not going to spend four hundred dollars for Amiri's, like, mm -hmm. but they want that Amiri look. Um, yeah. So I'm paying attention to all this, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing like, man, I'm watching guys wearing joggers. I'm watching guys wearing American Eagle stuff. Like, granted, that might not be the first thing. Like, if your culture to say, yo, I'm going to American Eagle to get this next hot fit, mm -hmm. but it's infused enough, right? And then what I started looking at more was more the number side of it. They're the number one vendor of denim for women in the United States. They're the number three vendor of denim for men in the United States. Mm -hmm. They generated between all 500 plus businesses that they're a part of almost $6 billion last year, right? I don't need help telling my story. I don't need help shaking my pom-poms. I need help making it logistically efficient mm -hmm. so I could have a shot to compete against what GOAT is doing, Flight Club is doing, what StockX is doing, what Stadium Goods is doing. Like, I don't want to give up on my dream, Yeah, right? They're the guys that are going to help me do it. Mm -hmm. But then I start looking deeper into the brand, like, okay, is this just a money grab for them? And I'm really thinking like, all right, well, we figured out a percentage and we figured out what we feel that percentage is worth. They, they think it's fair, um, but... They're only keeping a third of my brand. I only did twenty million in sales last year, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I operate on a ten percent margin. So, are they really doing this for money, or are they just fucking helping me out? Mm -hmm. Right? I'm on Houston and Broadway, yeah, a store that needs absolutely no help with foot traffic, mm -hmm. right? A store where the square footage is like almost a hundred dollars a square foot, yeah. They don't need my help there, right. you know what I mean? But. I, I'm looking at what they, the family has done and how they've helped people. Mm -hmm. Like they've gone from donating stadiums to football teams to like helping average Joe with a bunch of stuff that no one will ever hear about. Yeah. And then I like, they've done more stuff for the culture than people will ever give them credit for. And the reason being is because there's no one yapping about all the stuff they're doing for the culture. Mm -hmm. And I started looking more at it. Like the Schottenstein family came out of the mud. Yeah where they did a great job was just lining up with the right people to help them grow. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized, like, American Eagle is an American brand. UN is the, an American dream. Like, yeah. it goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And sneakers and denim go together. And then, you know, when I told them, hey, it'd be cool if I had a maker studio where we could design, put patches, do this, do that. Let me kind of curate. They're like, yeah, go. Mm -hmm. And, like, since I've been there, Denim jackets have never been in a top 50 item for them. It's top three right now. They've pulled every denim jacket from the whole city and put it in that store because we're cooking denim jackets that hard. Uh -huh. And every single one of them is going out with UN logos and patches. It's so fucking dope. That's crazy. Uh, Congrats, man. Thank you. Hearing the inner workings of the partnership broken down from Jay is absolutely priceless. But Jay didn't jump at the bag. I'm glad he went into these conversations with American Eagle questioning their intentions. He did his research, he did his homework, and he realized just how prevalent AE was. So if you're Jay, seeing it and hearing it for the first time, 
you now get the idea that the partnership might not seem so out of left field the way it initially did. There's an intersection that's happening with today's sneakerhead. It may not make sense to these older heads who've been in the game for decades, but this is the innovation that catches the attention of a company like American Eagle. We often hear about big companies going in on a subculture for the cash grab, trying to capitalize on a growing trend. But this, this culture, sneaker culture and street culture, it's got a storied history, its own roots that are still strong. And it has emotional attachments that are revered by millions all over the planet, irrespective of race, religion, or language. The culture surrounding sneakers is passionate and we are precious with our experiences and the way things are done. But this culture is also younger and more mainstream now than ever. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has some level of understanding of sneakers today. This all started with the sneaker brands recognizing the connections people were making with their product. Then the retailers started recognizing the value of what they had in their stockrooms. And now outside companies seeing that they too have some sort of connection, even if it's in the peripheral. Whether it's soda pop, chocolate bars, or faded denim, once these companies recognize that, it was only a matter of time before they decided to act. Whether it's gonna work or not, we will all see. Whether it's good for the culture or not, we shall also see. But what we do know is that change is inevitable. And it's dope to see Jay venturing out there, fulfilling his dreams, while at the same time pushing the conversation further into what sneaker culture and big business is able to do together. So can you, you, you mentioned red pill, red pill, blue pill before, but like, can you go into detail more about like yeah, the structure like, of the deal? Uh, I mean, look, it was 50-50 split if okay. I took the red pill and it was just going to stay the same. Yeah. It, I, I, I can't split a headache in two. And I didn't want it to be short term. Like mm -hmm. I one shot deal. Yeah, yeah, I saw like when I pitched to them what in my head I see UN potentially being, mm -hmm. and them buying like them. I could see the excitement. Yeah. You know, like Jay wants me to open a hundred stores. I said I I can't. Mm -hmm. There's no way I could be in a hundred different places at the same time. There's no way that I could get so many guys doing the authenticating. There's not enough shoes. There's just Inventory, not a, yeah. there's just not enough shoes, but I think maybe we could do ten and have some pop ups here and there over the years mm -hmm. and provide an international experience. Yeah. So we settled on ten. Okay. Ten stores. Um, in the next ninety to hundred twenty days, we have a completely new back end system, mm -hmm. which is gonna, in my opinion, inventory control. You everything mean? is mm -hmm. changing. Like we're going like right now, everything's QR code based. Like, and by the end of this year, you're going to be able to take your phone, tap the item, request to try it on, purchase it from your phone, suggestive selling, like all the things that have margin yeah. as a business owner that would excite you about pushing that happen very inconsistently because we're all human, right? And we mm -hmm. forget stuff. It's just like, it's going to be fun. So are you... Are you guys partners on the future stores or yeah. on the whole business? The whole business. The whole, so they even own like a third the original. Of, they okay. own a third of Urban Necessities. Okay. Nice. And yeah. you, so even the original one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So New York, like in, in markets where real estate is very high, mm -hmm. it's going to be a shop and shop. And places where, you know, our numbers and our trends show that we can handle it, we're going to do it on our own. Like we're opening Toronto in October. 
Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a standalone. And then on top of... With no American Eagle. With no American Eagle. As okay. of right now, it's no American Eagle. It's going to okay. be 4,200 square feet, which is almost the size of my Vegas store. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a standalone. And the other thing, we're bringing in barbers and tattoo artists. I'm bringing mm-hmm. like world-renowned tattoo artists into the mix, <laughs> master barbers into it. It's, again, it's, it's the dope, urban man. necessities. It's going to be fun, like kind of trying to mold retail, right? Because retail's become very bland. Yeah. Exactly. It's so dope that like the tattoos and the hair was the reason why you couldn't get a job. And And now now it's like you could bring it it into a publicly traded organization. No, I love that, man. Yeah, that's dope. Thank you. Retail has needed a shift for a long time now. We've talked extensively in past Business of Hype episodes on recognizing the shift in creating and the widespread availability of tools for that shift in e-commerce because of growing digital and social landscapes. For a large corporation like American Eagle, a shift in your core customer can be make or break. When your customer changes, that's a sign that you might need to as well. So while American Eagle might be best known as a leader among the mall brands of yesterday, there's no denying that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. While other chain retailers have come and gone, American Eagle, to much of their credit, has recognized that a shift was necessary and they've made efforts to rebrand themselves and update their approach again and again. The customers who spent their dollars at the mall with an orange Julius in hand may have grown out of the brand, but it's because a new core customer has been traded in, the Gen Zers. The partnership between Urban Necessities and American Eagle isn't the first time that the corporation has introduced a concept shop or invested in an experience beyond jeans, button downs, and polos. They've had custom denim studios, cafes, laundry pop-ups, all in the name of appealing to that prime young consumer base. Is it pandering or business savviness? It depends on who you talk to. Either way, a large corporation like American Eagle is doing everything it can to build and maintain this ever important word, relevancy. But of course, the story isn't all about American Eagle. Jay is here trying to change the consignment and reselling game through Urban Necessities as well. These types of partnerships and investments are great, but what they do with that partnership is important. The Urban Necessities and American Eagle partnership is all about expanding in the most obvious ways possible, creating infrastructure around Jay's company, making processes more efficient, and figuring out ways where tech can streamline the purchase experience are real tangible ways Jay wants to succeed. And the better Jay and UN does, the better his customers see the American Eagle brand, which is vital for American Eagle. And if all goes well, this should be a win-win situation for these two parties. Okay, so let me tell you my perspective of it, right? So one day, three weeks ago, I'm walking, I live in the city and I walk down Broadway and my wife is with me and she's like, oh, well, why are, why are there pigeons in the, in the American Eagle window? And I take a, take a triple look and I'm like, I don't know why pigeons are in here, like just front and center, right? And I was like, I don't get why. And then I look and I'm like, maybe American Eagle went out of business and like a new store is in here, right? So I was like, no, there's still American Eagle logos in here. So I go around the corner and, you know, they have those big billboards along Houston Street. And I'm like, wow, there's like a lobster. There's, a, there's a Khaled, right? And I was like, but there's an American Eagle logo under it, you know, with your logo. And I, and I honestly didn't recognize your logo mark, so I just saw American Eagle. And I was like, 
yo, this is crazy. And I actually like sort of mentally processed it for like a week. Um, and then I made the post that I made, which really, I think if you, if you read into my post, um, carefully, which I don't think a lot of people did, I think if you read into my post, I have no problem with the concept of reselling. Um, I'm all for reselling it to me. It's just American capitalism. Right. Um, and I also have no problem with an entrepreneur partnering. I think I'm 100% all for that, too. And I want to ask you more about the partnership, actually, in a second. But, you know, where I had the problem was where, you know, someone who, whose intellectual property is in a place where you didn't want it to be. That's where I felt like... No, and I, 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 totally, I totally understood your concern with because that. Because you had that concern going into it a little bit. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, if, if you have that tiff with us like you could technically have the same tiff with like stadium goods or flight stadium right. flight walmart mm-hmm. you know like macy's then if you you can't really stop there you then wind up having to go to like instagram and then maybe even like asking about that like i i get it like yeah. you worked hard to build your brand to where it is today mm-hmm. and to have that name recognition and it's not something that you might have necessarily co-signed mm-hmm. right i honestly when i picked the items and i said yo this needs to be in the wall and this needs to be the imagery that we put out i never factored that into my decision because mm-hmm. i didn't think i didn't you, you i didn't saw think, it as a, you yeah. dm me and you're yeah, like, I'm like i'm yo, doing this out of respect bro like yeah i can't come into your city like even though i'm from the tri-state area i can't come in here and not pay my respects mm-hmm. and then the other part of it too is like the way that i looked at the retail side of it is uh, most hardcore sneakerheads, the ones that are anti everything right and are the like worst customer okay. they're the worst right they're the ones that least spend and complain about everything uh-huh. right are the guys that are the most vocal occasionally they walk into the store, right? You got to do enough and you got to have the stuff they don't expect you to have, right? Mm -hmm. If you would have walked in that American Eagle, like you looked at that window, you wouldn't expect them to have all those shoes. Yeah. And that was, I figured a way that I could get people motivated. Mm -hmm. I have to put what's right. I have to put what's relevant. I have to put what's a wow in the window. Um, you know, there were items like you're right. I didn't get them from Nike. I didn't get them from you. I mm-hmm. I bought those yeah. from private sellers, and we just posted them right, like, right. like Stadium and everybody else would. Yeah, you know? I think you're right. I think there's something, and that you know, this goes beyond legalities. This goes into emotional connection. Yeah, right? and I, I get think it because I know you, Ming, and John McFeeders and Domaney. Somehow, it feels okay that they're right. doing this, right? And probably. Uh, if I saw a staple pigeon in UN in Vegas, no problem at all. Right. It's the fact that now there's this larger entity involved and there's like, it feels a little bit like dangling of a carrot and then you got to walk through what they sell to get to that carrot. Yeah, but that's that's got to change. That's the beauty right. of the relationship is like, even before I was running late to come to this because I was actually talking to them about how we're taking over more space in there mm-hmm. and how I wanted to change even more of the imagery that's in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, uh, you remember, you remember back in the day when, um, Kith used to share a space with Atrium, right. And they had the shoe store and then you had to go through the Atrium jeans and then all of a sudden one day it, it was just, weird. it was just all Kith. Right. Right. So hell, I hope one day you yeah, just talking, becomes all AE. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. We're, we've actually been talking about taking over the entire first floor of, um, of that American Eagle. And that's probably going to happen after this. So here's the reason why we, we mentioned that it's a one-year partnership, like 
that this location was a one year. They looked at my schedule. I looked at their schedule. We we kind of are forecasting where we think the sneaker culture is going. And we were like, look, if we don't open March mm-hmm. and we try to open next year, it's too late. Yeah. Right. So let's just give you the space. This is what we could get done gotcha. in this time frame. Uh-huh. And in a year, we redo all of it. So it was a little bit of a hurry up offense. Let's just get it. Yeah. In. Like, yeah. dude, even the system that I have isn't ideally what I wanted. Like. You know when you open something, it never goes the way that you envision it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of that, mm-hmm. and um, but I'm excited about all the stuff that we're doing. It's yeah. gonna be it's gonna be really fun, man. But um, I think there's a lot of in this resale culture. There's a lot of rules that you know are are waiting to be written. You know, it's like a new economy. There's like new rules, and no one's ever written rules for this stuff. You know what I mean? So. I think on the one hand, my entrepreneurial hat tells me that like it's good that you are pushing things forward to make things happen. But I want to ask you a, a hypothetical question. So you know Foot Locker recently invested heavily into GOAT. Right. Right. And you know GOAT sells like Gucci, Balenciaga, right? And, you know, Fendi right. shoes. So this, if, if this is okay, then that means that Foot Locker can take Balenciagas and put them in their window display. Why, why shouldn't they? Right. Well, they have the right to, but if you're Balenciaga and you have a team of 25 people who are trying to control distribution, and now it shows up at the Foot Locker in the mall, you could see how Balenciaga would but be that's, like WTF. In my opinion, that's a, that's a broken way to look at retail. Retail is very flawed right now, right? Okay. And we all collectively have to do more than what we've been doing and saying that it's okay mm-hmm. for retail to continue to grow, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to drive foot traffic to these locations, and and going to what people are saying, this is what it this is what it looks like is it doesn't work anymore because the consumer will get it no matter what right well right and mm-hmm. and you have to try to cater to all walks of life like yeah i have fifty thousand dollar shoes in an american eagle are they gonna sell like from a walk-in probably mm-hmm. right i I'm, and i also have shoes that are a hundred dollars that yeah. are the guy that's like oh man let me piece this fit you have to have a little bit of everything. Like I've been pumping, Supreme doesn't want to hear it, but I've been pumping box logos out of there more than I sell in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I get a bigger spender in Vegas than I do in New York. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it's You have to try. That's the whole part. Like if I, I mean, it's similar but not similar. A couple years ago, you tried stuff with, um, refresh my memory, with Pac Pac Sun. Sun. Yeah, read space right? at Pac Sun. Yeah. So, and... You you said it yourself. Like, ideally, you're like, oh, I don't know if this is gonna work, or if, mm-hmm. is my customer gonna embrace this? And then they came in and they said, yo, this shit is pretty fucking dope. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's a little different, I have to say, because I'll tell you why. All the brands that I carried in Reed Space, I got their permission to sell right. it in those packs. And if, I, imagine I, if I did it without their permission. Well, I. But again, you're you're operate. That's the part I'm that's on, different. I'm on, I'm on you're a wholesale on retail, operate, yeah. right? You're wholesale. I'm resale. Yeah. But I think that the consignment route is the route that every retailer is going to have to go to because, like, Amazon is beating everybody up. Mm -hmm. And we have no choice but to try something different. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I'm very fortunate knowing the people that I've met and very fortunate that I've been able to keep my nose clean throughout this process Mm -hmm. to get the opportunities. But 10, 20 years ago, this would have been looked at like, you're out your damn mind. There's no way. Mm -hmm. Right? And at least we were given the opportunity. Yeah, and I think that's the part that people need to hear, and that's the part that needs to motivate people. Like, if if they don't like what we're doing, go do it better. Mm-hmm. 
figure yeah, it out yeah. with the better brand. You yeah. know, uh, I just wanted to give people something different. Mm -hmm. For me, UN is an experience, not so much like I'm not there to sell shoes. Mm -hmm. I'm really not. You know, I'm I'm trying to sell my shirts and my jackets, and uh -huh. and maybe you get a tattoo and I get a kickback off of that while you're there, or you're playing the pinball machine and winning a store credit and buying the shoes that you couldn't justify that expense. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. this month, we got almost a thousand dollars in plays on that pinball machine, and someone's gonna get five hundred bucks towards a shoe or or box logo or whatever they want in the store. Yeah, yeah, it's a crazy time. I think you know, from a brand standpoint they really have to like figure out, you know, if you're Balenciaga, Staples, Supreme, you know, you're almost talking about like full democratization of being able right. to access your goods, which unfortunately you remember from those ad agenda yeah. days, that's not what these brands want to hear. Right. But I mean, once the consumer buys the product, they're free to do whatever they want with it. And yes. you're always going to have a guy that's going to understand he's going to be able to make more money than he paid for it mm -hmm. in most cases. Mm -hmm. And you're always going to have businesses or people that are going to say i could make even even bigger dollar on that yeah. if i just put it in the right location so mm -hmm. it's like does there need to be more of a uniform like together society yeah 100 percent. but i think it's the retailers and the and the wholesalers and the consignment shops all to, i think what's going to wind up happening long term call me crazy i think like with StockX and GOAT, it's going to wind up being like Fox in the NFL, right? Fox is like Fox paid the NFL X amount of money to be the only channel to carry NFC games for X amount, right? Like, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Mm -hmm. And then consignment shops maybe do get pushed out. Maybe they don't. Right, right. You know, like, but that's the only way that you could really police it to an extent is somebody cutting an extremely big check to only be the avenue but then you're killing all these other stores yeah are the stores gonna allow that you know right right i think it's the wild west right now man. yeah it's dope i mean it's and it's and i'm really proud of you of where you came from Thank where you're you able to been, build your brand even without american eagle yeah. quite honestly but then now to have their backing is amazing yeah no it's great um you know i uh i'm really excited about the opportunities like we're like i said we're opening toronto we're having conversations right now about Shanghai. Like it's mm -hmm. it's it's crazy, man. Like yeah. to think that little old us could get it get it together and and provide this experience everywhere is really dope. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, man. No, I'm humble to be here, man. It means a lot. Thank I can't you. wait to hear what the uh, what the audience feels about this one. Yeah, for real. Same. I can't wait to read the comments. <laughs> Peace. All right, brother. Thank you. Here's my final takeaway on this after sitting down with Jay and talking it all out. As I've always believed, there is nothing wrong with reselling in my opinion. Reselling is nothing more than a manifestation of supply and demand. It's been happening since sliced bread. I also believe there is absolutely nothing wrong with Jay selling a portion of his company to American Eagle. In fact, not only is there nothing wrong, it's everything that's right about business in America. If Jay didn't want to expand and scale, he could have just stayed reselling kicks out of his apartment. But Jay had goals, and this step with American Eagle is a gigantic leap towards those goals. The part that bothered me the most is the misappropriation of other brands and trademarks in alliance with American Eagle without prior authorization. In my own personal opinion, I still deep down think it's wrong. Today. But what I do think Jay is correct about is that the system is broken. 
While us on the brand creation side make a lot of effort to determine where things can be bought and sold and who and who isn't an authorized seller, the kids are able to get the goods wherever and however they damn want. So in a way, it's futile what we're doing. When he was telling me this, I was reminded of what Napster must have been saying to the record labels. And while I can't say it's okay what American Eagle is doing today, I can say I give props to Jay for taking a step to make this whole thing a big conversation starter. We can all see how this thing unfolds firsthand. And I wonder if the folks at Nike will have anything to say about this. All right. Thank you for listening to this amazing episode with the relentless hustler, JC Lopez, founder of Urban Necessities, which is now officially a division of American Eagle. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and tell us what you think of the show. Tell a friend about the show. Everything you do to spread the word definitely helps out a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to questions at businessofhype.com. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check out their work at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Nevetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers Berry. Our associate producers are Sydney Pacumpera and Christina Hong. This episode was recorded on location at the Staple headquarters in New York City. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio. Hypebeast.